Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are tonight's entertainment. I only have one question. Do you think I deserve your full attention? That's what I like to hear. Hello, and welcome to Script to Screen. Today, we're going to be doing a bonus podcast talking about Midway and Dr. Sleep, two movies that we're not going to be able to talk about on the regular radio show. So let's get right into it and talk about Midway. Midway tells the story of the men who fought during the battle at Midway during World War II between both American and Japanese soldiers. It stars Ed Screen, Patrick Wilson, Woody Harrelson, Luke Evans, Dennis Quaid, Aaron Eckhart. It's got a pretty huge cast, directed by Roland Emmerich, who directed Independence Day. That's the main thing that he's known for. But, I mean, this is pretty much just your your typical war story. Um, Roland Emmerich is known for his special effects more so than his storytelling abilities. Um, I would compare Midway to Dunkirk, which came out a couple years ago, but not so much in that it's actually quality, just so much that it's a World War II war movie. But, I mean, for me, that's that's almost enough to, to merit quality. I mean, I just really enjoy war movies to begin with, even when they're not uh, the greatest at uh, storytelling. But Midway's got enough in it to, to be enjoyable and passable. Uh, the the dogfights are always something that I'm going to be engaged for. The special effects are, are passable here. Obviously, they're not going to have real airplanes like they had uh, when Christopher Nolan shot Dunkirk, which is which is a bit disappointing, but it's not that type of movie. I mean, not everything's going to be up to that level of, of realism. But the special effects are passable. They're not... They're not awful, but they are notice- noticeably uh, lacking at certain parts. Uh, the the biggest thing about this movie is that it feels like a something that could have been a ten episode mini miniseries that's essentially crammed down into two and a half hours of of a movie because you've got so many main characters here. I mean, I listed off the huge cast earlier, which is something that sounds like a plus, but when you think about it, like it's really just all these big name actors that that really don't fit into this ginormous movie. I mean, Aaron, Aaron Eckhart gets a role where he's basically subjugated to being in the background, whereas in like a miniseries type of thing, he would probably be more of a a background character, I suppose, in the overall arc of it, but he's still going to get a lot more screen time than he actually does here. I mean, I was interested in his story, but as far as the amount of time that story is given by the the, the filmmakers, it just doesn't really amount to much. I mean, and then you got Dennis Quaid and Woody Harrelson, both, I mean, everyone's getting about hardly any screen time trying to fit into this sort of, this epic scope of a story that takes place over not too long of a period of time. But it's just something that, that really feels like it, 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 attempts to accomplish more than it's really able to in two and a half hours and and it does kind of feel the length at times I mean it starts with Pearl Harbor so it's got a little bit of way to go before we actually get to the midway the midway battle which is what you really which what you really come for but I mean the, the, there's another problem with this movie is that like 
The Pearl Harbor battle at the very beginning isn't really distinguishable from the Midway battle, at least aesthetically. Uh, even story-wise, I mean, it's a lot of. I mean, they do that do that intentionally. Like, there's there's things that happen during the Pearl Harbor ba- Harbor battle that are mirrored during the Midway battle, which is something that's interesting and something that you don't really expect out of this. But it does offer at least an attempt at thematic coherency with our main character played by Ed Screen named Dick Best, and he kind of goes on a journey throughout this which is something that, that Dunkirk doesn't really do. It, it, it's not so much interested in character work so much as it is telling the, the, the physical battle that's actually happening. But I think what Dunkirk excels at that Midway could have done better is that the, the characters' actions in, in Dunkirk sort of speak for who they are as people. And you don't really need any of the backstory or the, the directly stated character traits that you would get in a typical story, whereas with Midway they kind of try to round out the characters and kind of get a sense of who they are outside of the war. But again, that doesn't, I don't know if that, I don't know if that works for a war movie, especially when it's told in this short amount of a time. Uh, like for Dunkirk, I liked, I liked the fact that they didn't really delve into the character so much and just let the character's actions speak for themselves. Whereas here we get more directly stated about the characters. For example, like the main character, Dick Best, we get the most screen time out of. He's he's a hothead. He's uh, he doesn't really care about his other people. He just kind of wants to thrill a battle at the start and then he kind of changes towards the end, obviously. But it's just something that's directly stated rather than allowing him to kind of take his actions in and us allowing allowing the audience to infer that about him. And I mean, he's really the only character who gets that sort of backstory to him. And he and you see his his actions affect the other people, but they're sort of it's a it's a it's basically a uh, an amalgamation of a lot of the uh, a lot of sketches almost like these these small skirmishes that happen leading up to Midway, and everyone all these main characters seem to be bumping into each other and they seem to know each other, which I suppose may be evocative of real life, but it did, it did seem kind of forced in that way. How someone, how Dick Best walks up to the Patrick Wilson character and he's like, Oh, Hey, I know you when we've seen them, uh, progress throughout the story, completely independent from each other until they meet this one, this one, uh, officer's, uh, bar. Uh, and they say, Oh, Hey, and it, and their, and their meeting doesn't really seem to have too much of an impact. I mean, the overall the the story work is is passable here. Uh, it's really in service of the action scenes, but I, again, they do have these interesting the characters in these skirmishes that lead up to the bigger action scenes do go on some interesting character arcs, and again, there is a sort of progression that happens there that is interesting. Uh, Nick Jonas plays a character in this movie that I was interested in, but again, he doesn't really get that much screen time. He's not really a central character. He's more, again, to be, to play a part in the sort of skirmishes that happen rather than actually, the skirmishes don't really feel a part. It almost feels like an anthology film in a lot of ways, which is why maybe I compare it to a television series because it feels like these independent stories that would function better as TV episodes, maybe even like half hour TV episodes rather than full length. Cause I mean, with a typical, like something like Band of Brothers, maybe where you've got full hour long TV episodes and then you, that goes for 10 series to 10 episodes. But maybe with something like this, it would even be better just the way that this movie is structurally put together. 
if they worked as half hour TV episodes that kind of played out all leading up towards this maybe one hour long finale that happens at Midway. And I think if you did that, you would be able to expand a lot of the things that are happening here because again because they're trying to fit so much story into this a lot of the things that you want to see more of that you want to see kind of progress in real time they kind of cut around so you're you're not watching it play out and that's another thing that i love about dunkirk and is that you you watch the the events play out in real time and they kind of you understand their relation to time itself and because time is a big part of dunkirk it's not so much part of it here but the way that things play out a long time is something that's just interesting to watch to me. And, and when you cut around that and kind of get rid of the, this illusion that think this is happening in time and this, this things that are happening outside of time, it kind of, there's no more suspense at that point. And that's just something that this movie suffers from just from a purely structural standpoint. Uh, but overall midway is, is a film that I enjoyed because I just enjoy war movies to begin with. It's, it's obviously something that could have been better, but if you're looking for a time at the theater to watch a war movie and kind of, I mean, that's another thing that, that kind of has a positive for this movie is that it, it is a real life story and real life stories are also something that I'm a fan of. And so when you get to see these real heroes, these real men who did really heroic things during this time in World War II, it's, it's just something that I am always touched by and it's something that I love to see at the theater. So I, I guess this is, this would be a partial recommend. I mean, obviously, it's not going to be the greatest film. There's a film coming out later this year directed by Sam Mendes called 1917, and that is going to be uh, cinematography by Roger Deakins doing a uh, continuous one-shot for the entire movie, uh, uh, not seamless. It's going to be... It's going to be the illusion of a of a of one take, but still uh, something that I'm very looking forward to, kind of in the style of like Birdman or or Rope or something like that. Um, I mean, and I'm always interested in in that kind of ambitious um, ambitious project. And I think again, like seeing something play out in real time, is is always interesting when it's a physical conflict, something that like an action scene, uh, because when you're talking about personal interactions like something that's some more like a simple drama watching it play out in real time is not as much of a of an issue because things don't really it's not the physical actions you want to see physical things play out and that's kind of what film the medium is for because you get to watch it play out visually whereas when you're just talking it's it's less of a it's a different sort of thing but that's why i'm excited so much for 1917 because that's just by its very nature is going to to I think accomplish that whereas something like this with Midway is is passable it's a passable war movie it's not anything special it's not gonna get nominated for any Oscars but it's it's worth your time especially if you enjoy war movies as much as I do so with that let's move on to Dr. Sleep Dr. Sleep is a sequel to The Shining Stanley Kubrick's infamous movie uh, adapted from Stephen King's source material that Stephen King infamously uh, disliked. Whereas I think Dr. Sleep is a little bit more, it feels a lot more like Stephen King than The Shining did. Uh, but but Stanley Kubrick, obviously, he's adapting from Stephen King, but it's Stanley Kubrick, so he's going to kind of in, uh, bring his own sensibilities to the table. Whereas here, it feels like director Mike Flanagan really is sticking to Stephen King and the Stephen Kingness of this whole thing. I mean, it's got a lot of just his 
Stephen King's typical sensibilities going on. Uh, so, so Dr. Sleep, though, is follows Danny Torrance, so Jack Torrance's son from the original movie, uh, after the events of The Shining, and he meets this young girl who has similar powers, similar shining, that he did and will still has in the present time. And he's trying to protect her from this cult called the True Knot, who's just kind of going around trying to prey on children who have the shining and they're just kind of doing this to become basically immortal and enhance their shining powers I think is what's going on there but Dr. Sleep stars Ian McGregor Rebecca Ferguson it's got a lot of interesting stuff going on again it's got this weird conflict that happens between the Stephen Kingness of it and the Stanley Kubrickness of it and again it, it kind of it stays more on the side of Stanley Kubrick, not Stanley Kubrick, it stays more on the side of Stephen King, which is not necessarily a bad thing because I think Stephen King has very good sensibilities as a storyteller. He kind of has a, a very good understanding of, of structure and kind of, especially structure within a single scene. He kind of knows how to, the progression that a scene needs to take and how to flesh that out and how to make it have a good pace. I mean, overall, as a story, he generally has a good idea of where he wants to go with it, but I think that's not necessarily his strength because a lot of his stories just kind of don't necessarily work from beginning to end. I think It Chapter 2 was a good example of a Stephen King adaptation that didn't necessarily work super well. But then again, I think it, the It movie compared to the It book were different structurally because I think the It book takes place with the 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 adults and the kids kind of happening interspersed with each other all at the same time within the book whereas with the movies they kind of they took the kids for the entire first movie and then the entirety of the second not the entirety of the second movie but most of the movie, second movie is the adults with kind of the, some of the kids stuff interspersed in between that but i think overall dr sleep is obviously not as good it's not as it's not a masterpiece the way that the shining is but i don't think it ever was going to be really um, because it's, it's never going to be able to live up to The Shining. The Shining is, especially, it came out in 1980, so it's had 29 years to kind of percolate inside society and kind of become the behemoth of film history that it is. But Dr. Sleep just came out yesterday, so it's not, it's never going to live up to that, at least not especially immediately. But I do think that just because it's a sequel, just because it's a sequel to this giant, enormous part of film history doesn't mean that making a sequel, just inc making a sequel at all is a, is a bad idea. I think that you can make a sequel, even if it's never going to live up, that can still be quality. And I think that Dr. Sleep kind of accomplishes that. Um, but even Dr. Sleep is not really a typical sequel. It kind of attempts to distance itself from The Shining while at the same time approach it constantly, it's this really weird dichotomy that kind of doesn't really make much sense to, to do, but at the same time, it is also very evocative of Danny Torrance's journey in this. And so I actually kind of really appreciated that because it's it's not paying fan service to The Shining for the entire movie. Most of the movie doesn't really even 
recognize like it doesn't it doesn't tie itself to the shining for a lot of the movie but then again because it does play take place after the shining it can't just ignore the events of the shining at all either so i think it does a good job of tying those two things together and and at, there is an eventual point where it does involve itself with the the legendary legacy of the shining and i think it has to do that just because of its very nature and the very nature of the shining but i think that there's a good story involving danny and his journey that allows that impossible obstacle to actually become a part of the story and work for the movie rather than work against it which i think is kind of brilliant honestly and i think that's probably stephen king's uh source material that's doing that but at the same time, this is a sequel to the movie The Shining, which Stephen King did not like. So it's really interesting the way that that kind of works because it's it's both a sequel to the original Shining and a sequel to Stephen King's book at the same time. And it really functions very well at that. I mean, I haven't read the Stephen King novels, but you can kind of get a sense for what he was trying to accomplish and sort of his ideas about these characters and his world. I mean, I think Stephen King's characters all sort of exist in the same world as detailed in the the Dark Tower series, and they all kind of allude to The Shining in one way or another. Not in every book, obviously, but a lot a lot of the time. Like you get there's a the the bad guys in this have these weird glowy eye things, and they reminded me of the Deadlights from It which I th- I don't know if that's actually the same thing in the Stephen King universe because a lot, like, in The Dark Tower, I don't think they call it The Shining, but it's, like, I think it's, I'm pretty sure it's the exact same thing as The Shining. Um, so that's just an interesting thing that Stephen King does is that he creates this world that all of the stories kind of fit into. I've only read the first Dark Tower book, but I kind of have a sense of the trajectory of, of that universe and... It's, it's definitely interesting, but I just don't really know the ins and outs of it as well as I would like to. But I think, honestly, on the whole, I probably enjoyed Doctor Sleep more than The Shining. And I don't know if that's heresy or not, because I definitely like The Shining. But the I think Doctor Sleep is actually similar to The Shining, as opposed to other horror movies, in that its supernatural elements are present, but never really to the point that it's overbearing for my taste and kind of like what I like in a movie because a lot of times when movies introduce especially horror well horror movies introduced introduce horror elements that are more supernatural rather than just physical and literal I just it gets to a point a lot of the time where I'm just I, I, I disengage because it's just something that I don't it makes me really uncomfortable and it's just part of, it's probably the thing that scares me the most and I just don't like being scared. So when, when horror movies do that, it's not something that I'm typically going to enjoy. Whereas with both The Shining and Doctor Sleep, they, they include the supernatural elements, but they're never overtly spiritual in a way that just makes the movie kind of fall apart, which doesn't really happen in either of them, which I appreciate. Uh, it, it, I think Stephen King has a, has a, has a good, again, I'm referencing Stephen King without actually ever having read Stephen King, but I think Stephen King does a good job of understanding spirituality and then at the same time grounding it in a real physical sense. He makes, he makes you understand it 
physically and as the physical things exist in the story. And it, it's, it's a, it's a really genius way of telling these types of stories because it, it makes it very accessible, especially to someone like me who doesn't really like the overtly spiritual and demonic aspects of horror movies. But Dr. Sleep, I think, as opposed to The Shining, has this thread of hope that's that occurs throughout the movie that's not really seen at all in The Shining, which I really like because The Shining is not it's pretty dark and gloom. It doesn't end poorly for Danny, obviously, because he's in this movie. He doesn't die, but he is kind of at the end of The Shining. You, you see him as irre- irrevocably damaged by the actions taken by his father and the things that he sees in the Overlook Hotel. And so it's still, even though he escapes with his life, it's still kind of a down ending for him. You don't really see any hope for his future. Whereas Dr. Sleep provides that hope. And and there's thro- not only just hope for him, but hope for, for the whole universe as a whole in this movie. And obviously there's still a lot of darkness, but there's still... There's there's never a sense where you where you feel like there's never hope at all because and that's something that I just if that was the case that I would have disengaged because when you have darkness and nothing but darkness it just doesn't I don't see the purpose in telling a story at that point because if darkness is going to win I mean obviously you can have movies that end negatively but if darkness is going to win and there's no even chance of defeating the darkness then what's then there's then at that point there's no suspense either there's no there's no point to be cheering for anybody or anything there it's the whole movie becomes pointless whereas here you always sense that there's hope even when the darkness is at at some point winning but and I think that's just something that I'm more readily on board for and I think that's the reason why I enjoyed the experience of watching this more than than The Shining I mean there's another thing I watched Doctor Sleep at 10 p.m. in a theater by myself with literally no one else in the theater there was no one there and so that's alone just kind of a creepy thing when you're watching a horror movie but Honestly, it didn't super affect my experience that much. I mean, I I just I still enjoyed the movie, maybe despite of that. Uh, but on a whole, I think Stephen King's tendencies are obviously on full display here, and it. But I think the story in relation to that is not perfect, but the echoes of his prowess are still present. Uh, I latched on to to Danny's character arc from the very beginning. I think that uh, Mike Flanagan did a great job of sort of making him feel like a character that we should care about. I think that's one thing about The Shining that I I don't really get into that much is that none of the characters are really people that we like all that much. None of the characters are people that we can really engage with and sort of say, I care about what happens to you. It's more so watching the the brilliance of Stanley Kubrick and kind of seeing what he does with a camera and the way that kind of he paces a story and tells it and uses the frame of to uses the frame to kind of communicate things instead of sort of being in this empathetic experience. But I think that's something that Stephen King is very, very good at, which is creating empathy for characters. And I think that's another reason why I see him in this is that I feel a lot of empathy for for not just Danny, but every other character that he kind of interacts with. And I think that this movie, that's probably the reason why I love this movie so much is because 
I connect to him and I see you can kind of see where his arc is going from the beginning but at the same time you can still be surprised by it when it gets there because it kind of it doesn't necessarily go in a different direction but it still is engaging throughout and it's something that I care about what happens regardless of whether or not it's different from what I originally thought it was going to be and then even 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 McGregor who plays uh, Danny Torrance is I mean he's always good and but he and he's really good in this so that's definitely adds to that I think on the whole aesthetically this is Dr. Sleep has some stunning sequences there there's a lot of the visual effects are sparse they're not they're not throughout the movie they're not constant uh, but when the visual effects are used they're used in a way that you realize their visual effects because it's so obvious that they're visual effects, but at the same time, they still look very real because a lot of them are like sort of not necessarily dream sequences, but sort of it's it's when the shining is being used. So you know that they're they're not they're divorced from reality, but at the same time, they still look very real because they kind of weave that dreamlike element into the visual design itself. So it's never it it's it's very involving. It's it's engrossing in the movie rather than being distracting. And I really like that, but I think. Overall, visually, Dr. Sleep can hardly even compare to The Shining because Stanley Kubrick is in a league of his own, and I think that's kind of to be expected. Like, Dr. Sleep, it's not being directed by one of the greatest directors in film ever, and so I think to to expect it to match up to Stanley Kubrick's genius is just, again, an impossibility, just like the movie as a whole was never going to be live up to him, even if the story itself... And I think that's honestly, I think like, I don't know if I like the story of this more than The Shining. Again, I think maybe if you tell the story of The Shining different, it's Stanley Kubrick kind of brings that colder sensibility that I don't necessarily like. But again, that's, that's what, how I think that's probably the best way to tell The Shining because it's coldness is a, is a huge part of that. Cause like they exist in the cold. Jack Torrance is cold to his family. And I think Stanley Kubrick kind of brings that into the way he tells the story. But I think Overall, I think Dr. Sleep works better than The Shining as far as an experience for me just because I like the story better. And I think, I don't know if Kubrick could tell this story as in the same way that he told The Shining because it's just a different type of story, honestly. Which is something that's that's really fascinating is that that's probably what I was trying to say earlier is that like the story itself is very different. It feels very different from the original Shining movie. But at the same time, it's sort of, it's, it's tied to the original Shining. And because it's tied to the original Shining, it's that, it's this weird tension because the original Shining has to affect this, but at the same time, this is, the story is so different. So I think, but the way it's, it's not so much attention that, that pulls it apart, but it's attention that brings it together actually, rather than, than, than adversely affecting it which is something that's kind of amazing to think that it pulled it off but like just thinking about it like it, it's something that actually really works and it works to its benefit I think it has to be in the movie which is kind of crazy but I think again back to the aesthetics of the movie Dr. Sleep's audio did stand out as something exceptional to me like I, I don't know it's if it's just because I saw it in the theater and the surround sound was actually tuned really well which is which is pot which is good because it's not normally uh but the Shining I saw in my house just with my typical, my setup, uh, which is just like a sound bar. And so it sounds good, but it's also still just uh, just a DVD that's not going to give you the best surround sound, the best possible whatever. 
And so I don't know if that's just because it's an older movie or what, but like The Shining just doesn't seem to be as fine-tuned to sort of bring out that atmosphere. But I think Dr. Sleep's audio just kind of worked on every level for me. Like the the strings kind of like hum with this really this dark energy that's kind of brimming to the top of everything and it's never it's never really gone, but at the same time it it knows when to use the score effectively. And I think the sound design also sounded great on on the speakers like it 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 really kind of crackles with this precision to it that that's not really used as jump scares i think it it did do that once which i did i didn't like because i just don't like the jump scares and it did use the the surround sound so you you hear something behind you that crackles and that like literally snaps and you see it's like what is that and i don't i don't like that but most of the time the sound design and the score are used to create the atmosphere rather than be the direct source of a scare itself. And I think that's just something that is the the best way to do a horror movie to begin with. And so I think I'm not the hugest fan of The Shining. I mean, I like it, obviously. It's obviously a great film that's a huge part of film history. But I think if you are a fan of The Shining, I would say Dr. Sleep will be immensely satisfying. It was definitely satisfying for me as someone who is not a huge fan of The Shining. And I think it includes enough like references, tie-ins to The Shining. Uh, but at the same time, they're all ones that like really make sense. They're never, they're not Easter eggs. They're things that are directly part of the actual story. They're not like, oh, you remember like the, the guy who was dressed in a bear suit? We're going to bring him back for no reason. Like that actually has things that are tied to the story of The Shining that are would are logically impactful on the story of this one. Like it's not just that they bring it in just because they have to reference the shinies because this has to be a part of Danny's story. Like it's something that happened to him and therefore because it happened to him, because it was so impactful on him as a kid, it has to be part of his life now. And I think that's something that, that really works. And so as far as, uh, the sequelness of it, it's, it's really fantastic. But Doctor Sleep on a whole, I would definitely recommend. I think going it to see it in a theater is definitely going to be better than seeing it at home. Again, but it's not like it's not Star Wars. You're not going to have to see it in the theater. It's not something that like is a you have to see this now as fast as possible. Like if you have to wait till home video, that's fine. But I think it's definitely a recommend on the whole. That'll do it for this bonus episode. Thanks for listening. And if you want to listen to that show live, you can go to 90.3 WRST from 7 to 8 on Saturdays. This week, we're going to be talking about Narnia and the Golden Compass. Tune in and we'll see you then.